John Bloom here, and you're listening to the Sun Solar Panel, which is much more informative and entertaining than listening to my solar panels, but not nearly as environmentally friendly. Phoenix Suns Solar Panel Podcast. We do appreciate you joining us live on YouTube or if you are listening to the podcast version. We have a very special guest today. We want to welcome onto the show Paul Coro, the senior writer and web editor for GCU. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, guys. It, we How missed are you, you, Paul. Doing? Yes. <laughs> I miss all you guys. Yes. We had some good Liar. time. Down <laughs> in the bowels of the, uh, the stick. Let, let's yeah, be on, yeah. let's be honest, Paul. You and I had good times. Dave just happened to be there. <laughs> I was hanging around the periphery. <laughs> and Still as am. you guys can hear, obviously we do have Mr. Greg Esposito as well as Dave King. Before we get started on today's episode, I do want to remind you that if you are a supporter of the podcast, we have a listener-only fantasy basketball league that uh, is drafted. Sunday, October 13th. The first dibs to get in on the league go to you guys. So if you're interested, you're a supporter of the show, hit us up on Twitter at Sun Solar Panel. Um, on the next episode, on Wednesday's episode, we're going to open up the available uh, roster spots on the Fantasy League to our other listeners. So stay tuned for that. Um, a couple of things before we get into talking about training camp and the fact that basketball is almost here. We're all super excited. The Suns have released some orange jerseys, and not all of the reaction has been super positive. Well, look, orange, orange is always a tough color. No matter, no matter what the jersey looks like, it's a very difficult color because they always wind up looking like the aprons at Home Depot. It doesn't matter what you do, uh, unless you add sleeves to them, and then they look particularly even worse than uh, even than worse. when they when they're the sleeveless. So. You know, I, I give him credit. The sunburst is back on the front. It's not as big as I would have liked. Uh, you know, it's not the color I would have liked, but at least it's a step in the right direction, and hopefully it's a precursor to us finally getting back our beloved sunburst jerseys. So, Yeah, the um, <clears throat> the logo on the jerseys looked just slapped on. It looks like somebody just did some, you know, some artwork and, and slapped some things on, but that kind of goes with the rest of the jersey styles that they have. I mean, they just made an orange version of, of a lot of what they're already doing. I like the color of this orange. At least it's fluorescent. It stands out. Um, but I just don't love the overall design. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I will say this and I, I know that there, you know, there's a lot of sarcastic comments and things going on out there, but the people in marketing, uh, you know, and, and people over there work very hard on these things. Nike has a big say uh, in how this goes. Uh, so, and this is years and years in the making. We're talking two, three years it takes, uh, sometimes even more, uh, to, to get these in the process and go through the design process. There's a lot of hard work. And I know it's easy to sit here and, and snipe at people and say these things and question uh, how it looks, but I know that there's a lot of hard work that goes in it. So, so I respect that having seen that firsthand, uh, there's just, there's a little bit more that I probably would have liked to have seen out of this, uh, this particular Jersey. So, so, um, Paul, did you, did you even take a look at this stuff? Yeah. Anymore? I'm basically just here to reminisce. Uh, so, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, so Paul, when they released the orange Jersey six years ago, how did you feel about those ones with the sleeves? <laughs> it makes, makes me think of the whole planet orange push. And, uh, you know, what I first remember from all that was kind of the, the pushback that it felt like it was pushing away the history because 
you know, everything that had been referenced for the history of the franchise was the Purple Gang, you know, from Al McCoy's <laughs> days with Cinderella Sons and everything, and and the Purple Palace once they moved downtown. That's what it was called. So uh, it was everything that was tied to purple seemed to be cutting away. But at the same time, I, I think I have to have some full admission. Whenever I did a, a game day uh, preview, it was always called Orange Slices. So I guess <laughs> yep. I as much as anybody else because I got really attached to calling it Orange Slices. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Wasn't purple uh, Jerry Colangelo's favorite color? Um, I don't know if it was his favorite, but it was definitely his call and his decision to tie. He wanted to tie in the look of Phoenix and the purple skies and mountains. And uh, obviously you saw that carried <clears throat> Because the the early Diamondbacks were purple, had purple in their uniforms, and the Suns obviously did. And then when Colangelo sold both teams, it seemed like both went away from that purple. Is that is that tied together at all? Did you ever hear anything like that back in the day, Paul? Yeah, I think that was. I mean, I don't think it was ever outright said, but I think that was understood that that was a little bit of a push away from from that uh, rain. And uh, it was I always thought it was too bad in both sports because it gave the franchise is a distinct and unique look. You knew who you're watching if you flip by the screen, probably more so in baseball than basketball because now blend in with 10 other red teams in baseball. But but basketball, it was more of the history too for a franchise that dates back as far as the Suns do. Uh, So guys, I, I don't know how much of a surprise that this was, but Josh Jackson, Grizzlies announced starting the team in the G League. Well, I, I think it was a surprise. I think everybody expected he was going to get the opportunity to uh, to make the team. And I mean, I don't think we're necessarily surprised at uh, uh, at his struggles. I just think we assumed that he'd get a chance in training camp, and that's when the struggles would start. Not not a week before training camp, we'd find out he's not even uh, he's persona non grata at the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, training camp in the beginning of the season that he's got to start with the Memphis hustle. So, Hey, you know what? This is what happens. I mean, if you don't prove yourself, you've got to work hard and you've got to earn that spot back. And that's what Josh Jackson's <laughs> going to have to do to be able to, uh, to reclaim any chance at, at a decent NBA career. And, and it's sad because he's got all the talent in the, in the world there. It's just, you know, it's not uh, something that's, that's translating. And you know, we've seen, We've seen plenty of guys like this. There, that there's a reason that not every talented athlete, not every you know kid that's a, a five star recruit going into uh, coming out of high school is going to turn into an NBA player because you know and, and why the PJ Tuckers of the world wind up actually having long term careers when maybe they're not the 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 best physically or uh, you know or the highest recruited kind of guys. So it, it's a shame that Josh Jackson's. Uh, wasted and, and you know and I know it's not to the same extent but it reminds me kind of uh, and we didn't see quite the same flashes but you know a wasted talent from from the 90s you look at a guy like Richard Dumas who had the world uh, you know at his fingertips there and just couldn't control external factors and you know, I hope I hope Josh finds a, a way to get it together because it's going to be a very very short career if he doesn't yeah no I'm I, you know I'm kind of I'm not surprised it's it's one of those I knew this really should have happened kind of wows. Uh, Josh Jackson just clearly does not belong in an NBA training camp right now because of his attitude. And I think Memphis decided that he was going to 
he was going to get a big head again if he did show up to training camp and not want to report to the G League. So they're just like, just go ahead and report to G League. And that's what they did. Um, so I, I, I really think that um, this is the only way Josh Jackson could succeed because all the other ways don't work. Well, Paul, who was the guy uh, in your time covering a team that, that you felt kind of had a similar trajectory where it was, it was just a lot of talent, but it never just came together for the guy. Wow. What a list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it, it, you go back so far. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a guy you can pick almost from every era, every team that has you know, somebody that's projected high and was drafted high, you know, but the first team I covered had Jarko Jabarkaba on it. You know, All right. Him in the beginning, you know, I don't think it, like you said, it's not unusual or anything for uh, for there to be high hopes in the in the beginning. How about Mario Bennett. Oh, yeah, Mario Bennett was one. You know, the guy Paul that sticks out to me in our time working together, it's got to be Luke Zeller, right? You know, the greatest practice shooter ever that uh, that it never Outside translated. <laughs> when you guys brought up training camp, I thought about how there's those. Uh, training camp names that you forget because you only see them for like a month or so or <laughs> I do lasted longer than that but uh, those type of names that no, next to no impact but I think when you talk about guys that compare Josh Jackson to it's it's a short list because he was a number four pick that's a little different you know yeah. it's you get into the middle or the middle of the first round or late first round and the odds on that panning out are usually pretty rare anyway uh, especially for stardom but when you start talking about top five picks, that's a different class of guys. There's not too many that even been chosen that high in Suns history. So somebody on the hey, chat uh, suggested yeah, Michael Beasley as a, uh, as one of those names. We they didn't draft him obviously, but we got a front row seat for uh, for at least a season of that. So that that's a good name as well. Hey, and Paul, we have a question from one of the listeners on YouTube. He wants to know what's your favorite memory while covering the Suns. Gee whiz, dang. I did it 13 years. Um, it's all flooding. Uh, it, it was sitting next to me for for four of those years, Paul. You can just admit it. It's fine. Man, it seemed like 13, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, before you, while you're thinking, let me just make sure that we recap and, and <clears throat> let people know who Paul is for those who are new Suns fans over the last couple of years. Paul covered the team uh, for, like you said, 13 years as the beat writer for the Arizona Republic. Um, and then he moved on to GCU in recent years, uh, Grand Canyon University in recent years. Uh, but Paul has a deep history with covering the Phoenix Suns and all the way through the SSOL years, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh, hard to pick a moment, honestly. Like, I mean, there's high primetime moments. Like I was in the seat in front of where Nash hit into the <laughs> into the press row on the Ori hip check, that was like basically kind of happened in my lap. Uh, so for such a <clears throat> moment to be right there, but you know, I think there's, I don't know, I think more of the reporting times behind the scenes, like when uh, going to talk to Joe Johnson for the first time after he had left Phoenix, and for him to like share everything that had happened uh, and what went down in that whole. Uh, departure free agency or getting a a call from Sean Marion that he wanted to be traded. You know, like, I don't know, just for the job wise, that's kind of stuff stands out more for me personally, because those were individual things or having the 
the discussion with Channing Fry for the first time about what he was discovering with his heart and uh, and just hearing the emotions pour out uh, over a long conversation. Those are the things that kind of resonate with me longer. All right, so we're going to talk a bit about Sun's training camp. It's finally here. Uh, it starts in a couple of days. So basically, the Suns are bringing in 19 players. Uh, so obviously, not everybody's going to make the team. Uh, it's from the first to the fourth. Over at NAU, there's also an open practice, October 6th at Talking Sick Arena. Uh, wanted to start this off with some media day training camp hot take predictions. Um, I'm going to start. Cam Johnson plays himself into a rotation spot right away, or at least that is the talk coming straight out of uh, uh, training camp. Shooter's going to shoot, and you need you need guys that can connect from deep, so I'm pretty sure that uh, that that'll at least be the talk until uh, until I'm guessing inevitably in the preseason he struggles a bit, and then that talk cools down because there's pattern there's patterns to these to these training camps, you know, there's things, these, there's just storylines. Like my prediction on uh, my first one is simply that somebody will come in and claim they put on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle because I'm pretty sure Paul wrote that story 13 different times in every training camp because it's just, it's just something that always comes up that or a renewed focus on defense. Like these are things that are just cyclical when it comes to training camps. Yeah, you are, you've already got your story started. That's definitely going to happen. <laughs> Well, somebody lost 10 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Well, the Suns are all, all these guys are so, so young. They can't, they don't have 10 pounds to lose. That's part of their problem. They need to have gained 10 pounds. Um, I've seen DeAndre Ayton recently. He has not gained 10 pounds um, unless it's just natural. Uh, he, he, uh, he's been working more on his cardio than he has on, on his weight training. Uh, Mikel Bridges, that's the guy. That's the guy. We're going to hear gain 10 pounds of muscle somehow, and he's still going to look just as skinny as he did a year ago. You know what I want? I want it to be Monty Williams, just a total outside the box. <laughs> Monty Williams claims he's gained 10 pounds in muscle, and then I'll be fine with that storyline reemerging. You know? uh, how about this? Ellie Kobo doesn't make it out of training camp. I didn't even realize he was still on the roster. So, yeah, I think that was pretty safe to, to go. Uh, they're not going to roll that that many point guards deep to keep Ellie here. Well, they'll keep him through training. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, that's a good hot take. Um, another hot take I'll do is Frank Kaminsky is the best shooter on the team. That'll be a hot take coming out of training camp as well. And then we'll never hear the dude again. Paul, what was your favorite one of these kind of storylines that kind of emerged in training camp or, or one that sticks out in your mind uh, that that emerged in training camp that never just kind of dis dissipated after that? Um, I mean, there was always like this counter message of something that had happened over the summer and then people speak for the first time at training camp and everything was going to be all right. You know, whatever the, the <laughs> beef was, you know, like. Uh, the summer Marcus Morris got traded and Markeith was upset and said his future wasn't in Phoenix. And then he shows up first day to media day and says, uh, I, I want to be here. And of course, we know how that panned out yeah. a couple of later. You know, there was always something like that. Brandon Knight was always good every media day. Uh, Sean Marion asked for a trade and then had to go to the podium at media day <laughs> and talk about the future of the team. Uh, even the Channing Fry thing that I had mentioned, you know, that it was that whole summer where he wanted to come back and he felt like he had been cleared by his own doctors from the heart thing, but uh, the sons had never 
have been hesitant to let him back in up until like the night before media day. And then that's when they relented on that one. Yeah, I remember that one. A lot of people were surprised when he showed up in the jersey in full uniform on media day with that. I love, to your to your point, that Marcus Morris uh, trade somewhere when Markeith comes to the podium. There is one of the all-time great photos of Markeith at the podium, and you had Jeff yeah. Hornacek with his arms crossed in the tunnel, kind of just with this this stare of I know this isn't going to go well for any of us and and he was right so you know you know who you know who he looked like he looked yeah. at a, a Greta Wilson staring at Donald Trump <laughs> <laughs> all right back back away from politics um, yeah, way no, away from about politics the picture. it's the same exact glare in the picture <laughs> yeah so let's um let uh, one of my favorite memories of media day is when we're all sitting there and Paul you were there in the first front row and PJ Tucker steps up to the little podium and we're all uh, we're all ready to hear him talk about how, how great the Suns are going to be, and you you asked him a question. I'm pretty sure it was you asked him a question. So so PJ, do you do you feel like the Suns are going to make the playoffs this year? And he just looked at you, and he just couldn't even like hold a straight face. Like, what do you want me to say, Paul? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, I think we're going to make the playoffs. I mean, why would I not say anything different? But. <laughs> It was clear that team was not going to make the playoffs. That sounds more like a Dave King question than anything Paul would have ever asked. Are you confusing this memory, man? No, he teed it up. Uh, Paul teed it up. Media Day was a, was about the only day you could t- get people talking about playoff aspirations. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those died real quick in the in the desert. That's for sure. Hey, I'm uh, sure we will hear playoffs on Monday, a Media Day, at least half a dozen times. I want to address something uh, that we're going to talk about a lot more as the season progresses, but specifically uh, Pete Toll over in the YouTube chat says that uh, he's curious to see where the playing time will come from for Cam Johnson with Bridges and Ubre ahead of him at small forward. I think, I think he wanted to playing some shooting guard too. Like we talk about this, this position is basketball. You're basically going to have yeah. all sorts <laughs> of, uh, of basically small forwards playing, uh, you know, in, in various, uh, different positions. I, I totally see minutes at that backup shooting guard position, especially if, uh, depending on how the point guard rotation plays out and Tyler Johnson is getting minutes there. If, uh, if somebody that we're expecting to step up doesn't, I, I think you're going to see some shooting guard minutes for, for Cam Johnson, for sure. I just think the way it always worked out is there's always minutes for everyone on the, on the team, whether you want them to be playing or not. So People saying there's no room for there's always going to be room for these guys. They're they're going to fade in. They're going to be one game playing 20 minutes, next game playing zero, next game playing 10. There's there's going to be room. Cam Johnson will spot at three different positions. He won't be great defensively at any of them. If he makes his shots, he'll be fine offensively at any of them. Uh, he just won't be a point guard, and he won't be the big man on the floor. But who knows? Maybe even a really really tiny lineup. He ends up playing three minutes of end of third quarter, beginning of fourth quarter as the big man because he's 6'9". Who knows? Yeah, I was actually going to say I, I wouldn't be too surprised if he played uh, a good chunk of his minutes at a uh, power forward. Abs- uh, yeah, until he gets beaten up. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So. All right, so we got to move along because we do have a time cap, another 21 minutes left, left of the episode. What is the most outrageous claim that a coach or GM will make? Uh, Devin Book camp. Devin Booker's an, a true MVP candidate is my guess. Is is oh we'll, someone's we'll, gonna say that you we'll, think? We'll hear 
uh, a James Jones or a Monty Williams make an assertion that that that's the that's the kind of leap that they they think Devin Booker is going to make, and uh, I don't think we all know the reality of that is that you can, unless they surprise every and win a massive amount of games, he won't be in the conversation no matter what he statistically does. Yeah, he just froze right up. Good job, Greg. I'm here. Right? Do I need to fin- do it again? Yeah, we missed yeah, it. We yeah, missed the second half You got to love hotel Wi-Fi, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so what I'm saying, I, I think that uh, that uh, either James Jones or Monty Williams will assert that uh, Devin Booker will be an MVP candidate, and what'll happen is, uh, you know, we all know in reality that just won't happen unless they surprise in the win column. So. Um, yeah, I think that'll be a a hot take from from a GM uh, from front office or a coaching staff this uh, this media day. Paul, what do you recollect as the most outrageous? I can't believe they just said that thing from training camp. Other than Luke Zeller being the best shooter, <laughs> uh, uh, the 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 core of the team being uh, Michael Beasley and and not. <laughs> oh. Having to having to try to sell that was it was fun too, you know. Like uh, (laughs) Michael Beasley's changed. He's he's gonna lead us to the promised land. Yeah, I remember that. um, Getting Michael Beasley off off to the side on media day that year he got signed, and we had spent all summer talking about how he could be a small ball power forward because that's kind of what he was in in college. He was a twelve rebound guy. Remember, he had that great prefer to be a power forward or prefer to be on the wing. And he just looked right at me. He goes, man, I much prefer being on the wing. I don't want to bang with anybody. I don't want to hit bodies. I don't want to fight for rebounds. I just want to take shots. <laughs> uh, well, I think I told the story that same around that same time. It was it was training camp, maybe even been media day. I get Beasley aside. Uh, KD had just been uh, in the finals, and uh, you know it's well documented. They they kind of grew up together. They they know each other. And he goes on this whole thing about how that's motivated him to want to want to you know live up to his uh, you know, number two position and you know and, and it's it's really that's his goal and all these things so so I write this piece about it and then I am told by management you can't run that we <laughs> you just can't run this because we don't think this guy's actually going to do that. So we don't want any of that out there. So it got killed. So somewhere in my Google docs is a great piece about Michael Beasley saying he, uh, he wants to live up to Katie that he, uh, that he put out there and uh, never saw the light of day, which is probably better yeah. for me because that would be one heck of an amazing cold take out there on the internet. So it would be, but that's so funny. There's no shackles like that in today's world. People can write anything they want. It gets published even by the Suns. No, not when not when you work for the team. There's shackles when you work for a team. And it, and I'm glad in that but case. But the shackles was. are. I love talking to um, the Suns guy Cody Cunningham these days, and he's just after every another twenty point loss, he's like, I know what my storyline's going to be. You know, some dude off the bench scored fifteen points. That's my story. <laughs> just focus on the yeah. one positive out of a game. Yep. Paul Paul knew very well that I love to pull my hair out with that kind of stuff. So <laughs> it was getting her Espo unfiltered. On, on <laughs> well, that, Espo unfiltered.com. That's yeah. what we needed. 
I I kick myself for not having written all the things I wanted to write when I worked there and when I left, just dumping like everything, every story I wanted to write. You know, like I would have killed my career. But yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we need a WikiLeaks for us. I would think about basketball stuff when I think back to him. I think about like a conversation I had in Salt Lake City where he just kind of went like total Beasley and started talking about the whole Skittle thing. Like, at one point, he started talking to me about a, uh, a girl he went to prom with in high school, and he remembered her name, like, right off the top of his head and how special she was. I end up, like, I remember just out of curiosity, I end up, like, looking her up later, and she was became a doctor or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> she made a good choice not to stay with the bees then, yeah. It's <laughs> I like, you know, as much as he was frustrating on the court, I like Bees. He was good. He was good interviews usually. Uh, but then, it, you know, the dude was different because, like, as soon as he went uh, back to Miami and the first time I saw him there, he saw me in the locker room and he was like he had never seen before. Seen me before. It was, just, <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> so uh, this week the NBA released a uh, statement that all teams are going to be forced to accurately measure and certify player height and age. They're going to let weight go, uh, but they're going to certify height and age. So it's funny, the the Suns just released a pre-training camp roster yesterday, which I don't remember them actually doing. Maybe they always do, but um, it's funny. You're supposed to measure them after you get to training camp. So I wonder if the Suns have already done the measurements because they had entertainment day on Thursday, or if they're going to remeasure people and have to release changes of height. So the question I have for Paul is, which player was the most different in real life from his listed height, in your opinion? That's a good question. I mean, this is going to be interesting because everybody's always been measured with shoes. And I thought they always Well, let's even just take the, like, there's no way, even with shoes, he was this tall. He was definitely three oh, inches shorter. Um, and it'd probably be a guard. Gosh, Espo, prop something in my head. Who am I? Uh, Isaiah well, I Thomas probably I, was only five six. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas was never as tall as they said because I towered over him and I'm not a tall man. So I don't think people thought Nash was as tall as he was, listed, but Steve was actually yeah pretty darn close to what he was listed. I think he was listed what six three. Yeah, yeah, and he was, I'm sure he was at least six two. I don't. Yeah. I don't, I don't I'm Barkley, five, I looked up at him, so I know that was probably. <laughs> Barkley was a was a guy the first time I met him out there. I mean, I had always heard he wasn't really as tall as they claimed. I think they claimed he was six six, and then, you know, you stand next to him. I'm like, you're you're six four if you're if you're lucky, Chuck. You know, like, so that was always one that that struck me as interesting. Didn't that become an admission later? Didn't they just start calling him six four later? Yeah, as 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 I that was with that was width though. That wasn't height. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think this year the biggest difference. um, Although I haven't actually stood next to him yet, but I think the biggest difference this year will be uh, rookie Jared Harper's on a two way. They list him at five eleven, but he never looked anywhere close to that in the summer league. Um, but we'll have to see when I actually stand up next to him because I'm I'm six foot. So but I don't, we'll see I don't, how close that is. I don't understand this. Why are they measuring him without shoes? How often are they going to show up out of the court without shoes? Like, <laughs> well, players wear different. Yeah, but players wear different thicknesses in there. In there, uh, there's actually there. I've seen comments around. Some players wear with the with the heel being 
almost two inches and others where it's just over an inch. And it's just weird that, um, uh, that, but you're right. They're never going to be on the court without their shoes. So if they're going to wear two inch elevator shoes, then they're still going to be that much taller and closer to the basket. So they should all just be in their shoes because they don't play in socks. I feel like the, the media needs to go through the same thing too. I want to, I, I want to know uh, <laughs> what everybody's actual height is, but we should make weight a requirement too, just for entertainment's sake. <laughs> Find out who had the biggest orthotics because that's going to show, you know, somebody's going to be two inches shorter and somebody else is going to be one inch shorter than what they were. Right. Yeah. That's what's good. Yeah. So, and KD is going to be about the only one who suddenly grows from six, nine to seven, one. <laughs> I don't think Marcus Banks was as tall as him. I was trying to pull that name. And maybe it's just like personal disdain for Mark, Marcus Banks that I pulled that name. <laughs> hey, hey, he had 30 million, 30 some odd million to stand on that he never actually earned. So that made him taller, but I'm yeah. looking, I'm, you know what? I want to know what Eric Bledsoe actually <laughs> measures out as. Because I did always look down a little bit to him, and well, we'll, he was measured at six one. Well, we will find out shortly. Yeah. <laughs> Short. Yeah. No. No pun yeah. intended. <laughs> All right. So talking about this year's media day or uh, training camp, I should say, what are some of the lamest cl- cl- uh, cliches? Excuse me, that are going to be said over and over again. I have a couple of them. Um, they'll be running a lot, getting the ball up and down the court playing in transition. I think we're going to hear vintage Rubio a lot. Did a good job executing, played unselfish basketball, and moved the ball well and took good shots. I think we're going to get the DeAndre Ayton uh, is is just focusing on his game, taking things one day at a time. Yeah, we'll get that that cliche. I think you're right on the vintage Rubio. We'll hear that a lot. Is the, you know, uh, the, Inevitably, somebody will... We'll make Nash Rubio uh, Nash comparisons. Yeah. That's just gonna happen. Uh, what, what's another? You know, Devin. Devin Dominating is gonna be a thing this year. Oh, because he's pushing it. Aiton's pushing. Yeah. It, well, he mentioned it the other night too when he did his shoe reveal. I'm gonna dominate more this year, and I was like, oh god, he's gonna say this about five times next week, and people are just gonna puke every time they hear it. Not that he couldn't dominate. But just that he says it so cavalierly and then goes out and just play and plays a normal 16 and 10 game that that um, does, you know, impact the game positively, but doesn't make a huge difference. And it doesn't look spectacular. We're, we're going to hear this isn't the same Monty Williams a lot. In <laughs> oh, yeah. Camp. That's coming. Anybody on this team can contribute. Uh, <laughs> I love the character of this team. Character. Yes. Yeah. Basketball. Is it, this is a great. This is a great locker room. We feel the chemistry will be fantastic. We'll hear that a lot. Yeah. Uh, DeAndre mentioned just the other day the work ethic on the team. Everyone works hard. Uh, you stand out if you're not a hard worker. Shouldn't that be like a baseline? I never understood why that comes up at training camp. Like you need to assure everybody. Like if you're not working hard at training camp, I have I have very little hope that you're gonna ever work hard. <laughs> You know, like if if you're already burned out and we're like 15 minutes into uh, the entire basketball season, that's a problem. Especially with these training camps. Yeah. These are not your, your 1990s training or even early 2000 training camps where they were really going twice a day and there wasn't uh, you know, ban on contact in one of the sessions and they weren't 
peeling off one of the two a days every other day and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, back uh, back in the SSOL days with the older teams, um, the Suns were doing. Uh, it was like uh, uh, practice in the morning and then scrimmage every night, right, Paul? Yeah, and there were. I mean, morning would be full contact too. They might not scrimmage, but they would go through half court things and they would run and do their conditioning and um, you know that was always one of the things to credit with that first breakthrough team in 0405 that that was when they had returned to Flagstaff and uh, you know they high altitude conditioning had them ready out of the gates to kind of overwhelm people with that new style and, and speaking of uh, speaking of cliches the next thing that's going to happen after the uh, we're going to renewed focus on defense, right? We're going to focus on defense. We're going to fly all over the court. We're going to we're going to we're going to win on effort and spirit and all that. And then I've already pre-written my December first article, which is coach says he's going to scale back the defensive schemes because the players can't <laughs> keep up with it and simplify the offense too. <laughs> it's all about getting ahead of those storylines, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can't in four days implement a really t uh, complex offense and defense. There's just not enough time. All you're doing is walking through it, and then you're trying to implement it on the fly in preseason games, and now they're down to only four. So, yeah, December 1st article, it might have to be released earlier than that, will be the coach saying he's simplifying his schemes. Uh, who will be hurt and unable to participate? I went with Tariq Owens. I go with Dave. Yeah, King. this is a negative one. I didn't really want to cover this one, but we have to, right? We have to because, but it's it's like bad juju. Um, I feel like there's going to be some lingering thing with Aaron Baines from his groin uh, pull strain that he played through uh, in the World Cup. So I feel like it's going to be very disappointing because we all thought Aaron Baines would toughen up Aiton during training camp, but we're going to hear that Baines is is a limited participant. Yeah, honestly, I don't care. If it happens, as long as it's not Devin Booker, you just we, you can't get hit with that again. Where where he misses a, a training camp with with a new coach and and getting to know new teammates. So I think that as long as it's not that one, it's not going to be as de as detrimental as we've seen in uh, in recent years. So far, so, so good. Aiden just mentioned uh, the other day that Devin Booker's in great shape, and they've been running on on pickup all all month. And did he say he gained a, a, ten extra pounds of muscle uh, that Booker had? <laughs> we didn't talk about uh, the no, muscle. Okay. Part. All right. <laughs> well, we have about five minutes left. I do want to, on a more serious note, uh, and this is specifically probably for Dave, but uh, maybe for Paul as well. Um, what are we going to know after training camp? Paul, you go first. I mean, I'm, I think uh, training camp is the time to kind of get to know personalities more than anything about the, the basketball. You get a slow reveal, I guess, of systems and and a little bit more theories for, you know, with the daily access. So that seems to change a little bit, but I don't think you really uh, have a good feel for what you're going to see on the court until you've seen a couple of exhibition games. <clears throat> yeah, I think the only... The only thing we're going to know – I'm sorry, Paul, I cut you off. What would you say? That's all right. I was just saying this is a time when you got start to get to know really the, the personalities and the work ethics of some of the guys that you, you haven't seen before on a daily basis. That's true. So as a beat writer, you would get more of a feel for the individual players. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I felt like I could read people pretty well after doing it for a while. And, you know, I always think back to examples like the first time – I saw Mikhail Petrus, I kind of knew 
he was a phony and not really as uh, gregarious and uh, team, all for team like he tried to be in the look like in the beginning because he had a big personality. But that wasn't a training camp. That was, a, I think, a midseason arrival. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the only thing we're going to know is who's healthy coming out of training camp because the Suns will release information about who's available and who's not. So uh, we'll we'll know who came in with a lingering injury that they're trying to rehab or who, you know, just the other day, I think I saw Lindsey um, Smith interview Jalen McHugh, who'd gotten an elbow in the face from Frank Kaminsky in a pickup game. And and uh, Jalen just played right through it. By the way, I I I am inordinately curious about Jalen McHugh because what, what I really liked about him in summer league is his willing to be physical and not and not commit just dumb fouls like just reach in fouls. He he really will uh, do whatever it takes to play, you know, to get to have success. So I don't think he's going to play much with the Suns this year. So I'm going to go check out some G League games. But I'm really curious to see how he fits into an actual NBA roster because um, he had his way around the Suns roster too. But that'll be interesting. But really, we're not going to know how players fit together until we see some actual games of them playing on the court. And we're not going to know about Monty's schemes until two weeks into the season because they're still going to be feeling them out and saying after every game, well, we kind of executed, then it broke down and Ricky just ran some pick and rolls. So we'll find out. Paul, I have a quick question for you. Um, do you think, I, I, obviously we, uh, we all follow Ricky Rubio from afar when he came out um, of Spain and came over to the U.S. and he was touted as the next Steve Nash. He never did have a jump shot and he does have a better defensive game than Nash, but he passes pretty well. He plays role and runs a, uh, runs a team. What, how, what grade would you give the Suns signing a 28-year-old Ricky Rubio to to run this team this year? Um, I mean, it's, like you say, it's not comparable to Nash, but it is reminiscent of Nash just as far as, like, the an established player coming in at a similar age. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, I'm in no way saying this is going to pan out like Steve Nash. And there's right, right. the talent level around where Steve was kind of like the last piece they needed to bring up uh, raise all ships there, but uh, I think it's just a different scenario, so it's going to be hard for Rubio to have the, that sort of impact on a franchise. It is a stabilizing influence. Um, you know, I don't know where heads are at for expectations levels, but it would be it would be unfair to put a put something on Ricky Rubio like uh, what was expected of those types of point guards that like Steve Nash or somebody else that's established come in and be that final piece it's they're not in that sort of situation but i mean i've got all the respect in the world for ricky rubio as a player uh, and the way he's developed his game uh, throughout his pro career when he was kind of pigeonholed early as uh, just a passive or just a defensive player uh, he's become, uh, an established yeah. threat on the international and nba scene Awesome. Well, Paul, we really do appreciate you joining us today. If you want to add Paul on Twitter, you can do so at Paul Coro. And again, if you are a supporter of the show and you're interested in joining our fantasy basketball <laughs> league, send us a message on Twitter at Sun Solar Panel. We're going to open it up to the rest of our listeners uh, on Wednesday. So again, if you're a supporter, you want to get that in right away so we can make sure that a spot is open for you to join. Um, but uh, I guess when we talk again, we'll we'll know a bit more, Dave. All right. Sounds good. Later, guys.